Welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. This is John Murphy, and it's my pleasure to welcome to this podcast Dr. John Cheatham. Dr. Cheatham is a faculty member at the Cornell University School of Veterinary Medicine and has some very interesting work in terms of regenerative medicine for animals. Dr. Cheatham, welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. Thank you very much, John, for having me here. So, as I said, you have a number of initiatives in terms of regenerative medicine research related to animals. So perhaps you can begin this discussion by just introducing some of those activities. I'm interested in laryngeal problems in dogs and in horses, and they are the two species most affected by problems with the larynx and problems with the upper airway, and they both get conditions of laryngeal collapse. So one of the laryngeal muscles that control the opening of the larynx can become atrophied through a nerve injury or nerve disease. And so that leads to collapse of the upper airway and obstruction to airflow, which can produce noise and distress, and that's difficulty breathing, and problems with exercise intolerance. And there have been a number of surgical solutions around for quite a long time that use a suture or other device to maintain the airway in an open position so that these animals can maintain their breathing and breathe freely and exercise normally without distress. But all of those have moderate success rates. So we've been starting to develop some regenerative solutions to promoting nerve repair and also nerve graft and starting to use some of these in early stage clinical trials in these animals. So when we talk about regenerative medicine, we typically talk about tissue engineering or cellular therapy. In terms of this approach that you're considering and pursuing, does it fit into either of these? Yes, it does. I think it fits best probably into regenerative medicine. So we've developed in collaboration with Brian Brown at the University of Pittsburgh at the McGowan Institute a nerve-specific extracellular matrix hydrogel. And that's derived from a xenogenic source. And we've been using that to create a local microenvironment around the end of the repaired nerve to promote the new axonal sprouts crossing the nerve defect and enhancing uh, re-innovation of the denervated muscles. So that's the muscles that have lost their nerve supply. And we've been able to show so far that it's safe, accepted biologically and immunogenically by the body. And it does seem to promote re-innovation and the maintenance of uh, muscle mass after its use. So just so our listeners are on the same page, uh, a hydrogel is a suspension that has stem cells suspended in it? Without cells, this is a scaffold-based approach. So there are no cells injected into the patient. There are different approaches here, but one of the advantages is that the hydrogel then will recruit cells that are locally present within the patient and bring the animal's own cells in without the need for uh, prolonged and potentially expensive culture techniques. So is this a minimally invasive procedure? No, it's not. It's designed to support an anastomosis. So the current standard now is a nerve anastomosis that requires a small surgical incision to identify the nerve ends and bring those together and suture them together And then we place a small conduit, so that's really just a tube around the nerve end, and we can inject the hydrogel within that tube 
and so it fills the defect around the nerve nicely and conforms to the nerve. It's a small incision, but it's no bigger than the incision would be for the current standard. So if some of our listeners have a, an animal that is in need of this type of therapy, are you considering patients at this time? We're up to about a year away from that. One of the other things we wanted to do was to develop some better ways of evaluating laryngeal function. We have some good methods for doing that in horses, which we can evaluate on the treadmill. We wanted to improve our methods of outcome assessment in canine patients, and we've been doing that recently. I would say by the time all our data is in and fully analyzed, we're probably about a year to two away from clinical patients. Very good. So, Dr. Cheatham, this is a very interesting development, and I know that some of your colleagues and you as well are considering regenerative therapies for other disease systems. Can you just briefly indicate maybe a few highlights in that area? Yeah, sure. So there's a large interest in regenerative medicine within the field of veterinary medicine at the moment. This has been growing over the last five to ten years probably, but most actively in the last five years. Part of that is because there's a a spread of technology between human and veterinary medicine, and that occurs in both directions. So often developments move from the human field to the veterinary field. But recently, uh, many clinical trials have been performed on veterinary patients for the benefits of those client-owned animals and are being transferred from those veterinary trials back to the human setting. And we saw a good example of that where a colleague uh, called Nick Jeffrey from the University of Iowa was describing one of the first, actually I think the first, clinical, so this is a randomized control trial in canine veterinary patients, so these are client-owned animals with spinal cord injury, and they're being transplanted within sheathing cells, in sheathing olfactory cells, and he showed very promising results from that data. And as you know, the randomized control trial is the standard for assessing outcome. And so to be able to do that in a large animal system is both useful for those veterinary patients and also to translate that research then back into a clinical human setting. Yes, you have the advantage that you have a few less steps to go through in terms of clinical use. So it's encouraging to see the progress that is being made in the animal arena with the hopes and expectations that many of these will be adaptable to human use. So I saw some work by some of your your colleagues on stem cell therapy for kidney failure. Uh, I gather that's an area that shows some promise as well. That's right. So Jessica Quimbley at Colorado State University is working on transplanting stem cells into cats with chronic renal disease. Chronic kidney disease affects about 70 or so percent of older cats, a very common clinical problem. And it's very similar to the problem of chronic kidney disease faced by many human patients. I think the prevalence in that area is around 20%. So that's, again, a a nice comparison where she is treating feline cat patients from a pretty large surrounding area coming to her clinic. And these animals have the potential to benefit greatly from some of these uh, regenerative therapies. Any other particular initiatives that come to mind that might be worth highlighting for our listeners? One other comes to mind. So Lisa Fortier, who's a friend and colleague of mine at Cornell University, has done a lot of work over the last 10 years or so in the use of biologics. So that's a lot of her work focuses on the use of platelet-rich plasma, 
to treat cartilage defects and tendon injuries. So these are very common problems in all horses. Tendon injury is pretty, pretty common in a wide variety of horse types, and cartilage injury are also very common. And she's had wide success and experience in using these biological treatments, including platelet-rich plasma, to treat these types of injuries in clinical animals and, again, translation across to human patients. So it's clear that there's some very pioneering work in this area, and as we said a moment ago, that the advances that are being made in the animal arena offer promise for human studies and human application at a later date. I'm just curious, are there any cases that come to mind where it's been the reverse, that human work has helped animals? Yes, of course, and I should say the majority of the flow of knowledge has been from human to veterinary species. So one of the good examples for that is cardiac arrhythmias. So cardiac pacemakers were developed many decades ago for use in human patients and have been very effective in those cases. And that's been translated to veterinary patients, mostly dogs, also some work in horse arrhythmia. But it's pretty widespread now, the implantation of cardiac pacing devices in dogs with cardiac arrhythmia is quite widespread in, in uh, tertiary referral veterinary hospitals with specialized veterinary cardiologists who see these cases. And there's also some emerging work in valve replacement in dogs in which human valve systems have been adapted for use in dogs with cardiac valve disease. So it's win-win whether you're going one direction or the other, which is very good. Yes, I agree. So we mentioned a moment ago about stem cell therapies. Of course, in the, the human side, there's lots of discussion about autologous cell therapy versus uh, cell banks and so forth. Is the nature of the discussion the same from a veterinary perspective? Yes, I think it is. Most of the range of cells that are used, the cell sources that are used, is similar in veterinary patients as in as in human, as you mentioned. So some of the transplants that are used are autologous, so bone marrow-derived cells transplanted back into the same animal. Fat-derived cells have also been used in some circumstances. And also people are developing banks of frozen cells that can be transplanted allergenically into other animals. So Dr. Cheatham, uh, I thank you for taking the time to share with us today your pioneering studies that you are personally responsible for and also sharing some insight into the broader area for regenerative medicine as it relates to veterinary applications. Thank you very much, John, for having me here. I wish you best wishes for continued success. Remind our listeners that we welcome suggestions at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. We thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine that sponsors this podcast series. Until we meet again on another podcast, best wishes to all. 